give a bit of context because we're jumping in like very in the middle of a, a, like an argument that Paul is laying out here, but it's in the book of Romans. So the author of this book is most likely Paul. There's no really argument about it, but it's highly likely Paul is the, the author. Now, Paul is a church planter, and he's probably on his third missionary trip, and he's been planting churches left, right, and center in that region of the Mediterranean. Um, and he's been doing well. He's been really successful. He's been planting churches that not just they thrive, but the churches started to, to plant churches that plant churches. So it is really great church planting DNA in those churches. Um, and it's estimated that Paul personally planted about 20 churches, uh, which is quite a lot personally. So to these churches, he would write letters. So he would write letters to the church in Philippi and Corinth and Ephesus. And those are some of the letters we have in the Bible. But the book of Romans, this letter of Romans, Paul did not plant that church. I'm not sure if you guys know that, but he didn't plant that church. So they say that is why this book of Romans is so lengthy, because he's actually having quite a big greeting at the start. Hello, I'm Paul. This is what I do. This is a friend. Uh, you got, you know, when you network with someone, hello, I'm, I got your number from this guy. So he's almost like networking a bit at the start, but he's really establishing rapport. But he didn't plant this church personally. Um, so Paul was writing this letter. So uh, the New Testament letters is actually arranged from Paul's letters from longest to shortest. And then there is some obvious groupings like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians together, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy together. So the longest letter really is the book of Romans. So Paul is the author, 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 he's the author, he's the author. <laughs> I don't know what English that is, uh, but Paul is the author, but he is writing this letter to a church in Rome. So I want to focus a bit on, on Rome. So Rome is a city region in Italy, and Rome was like a very interesting political environment. So it, it, if you go do search for Roman history, it is crazy. It's, it's, it's very like, gruesome, violent, uh, very barbaric almost. It's, it's a very interesting uh, culture that we see. Um, but there was a guy named Claudius. Uh, he's the guy on the left. Uh, can we put on that slide? That's Claudius. So, you can just trust me, but he looks Roman. Um, but, but there's this guy, Claudius. doesn't really matter how he looks like. But Claudius was actually like very brutal to the, the Jewish people. And he would like uh, restrict their worship. He would like say no public gatherings. Uh, that is why I put the second picture on there. That it was almost like restricting them, not allowing them to gather together in big groups. And they were actually growing the, the Jewish people in Rome. And Claudius, he restricted the gatherings, but then later he actually expelled the Jews. So he sent all these Jews out because they were becoming like a, a, a what's the word? A threat. They were, thanks, wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, like a, a threat. They were like rising up and becoming more, multiplying, and, and, and it was actually just 
like forcing them out, expelling, expelling them. So it was the great expulsion. So in um, the book of Acts, you get to read from Aquila and Priscilla. Have you guys heard of their names before? So they were part of this expulsion out of Rome, part of that grouping. And then Paul later met up with them. But it is a 40,000 Jews were forced out of Rome. And then after Claudius' death, uh, Nero, then like, there's like a relative of Claudius, Nero, um, took his place. Now, Nero liked the Jews because the Jews, they were good for business. Um, and they are good with it economically. They, they put things in place. They thought things out. Uh, they, he, he invited then all these 40,000 Jews back, come back to Rome so that he can make money. Um, and we still see uh, Israel uh, being a very Jewish community rise up quite, they're quite strong economically. Um, so we can still see that. So all these Jews then came back. So think of the influence this history has on the church in Rome. Now to explain it a bit differently, so these churches in Rome were originally planted by the Jews. So in Acts, there was a preaching. Peter preached in Acts 2. Then the Jews uh, responded, and it says in Acts 2 that there were some Roman visitors. And now it's assumed that those visitors went back to Rome and then planted churches, and they established the church in Rome. So who's the church planters? We don't know. Most likely the Jews that was there during uh, the Passover, uh, during Pentecost. So this church has been planted by Jews. Now for about five years, uh, with the great expulsion of when they was expelled, the Jews was then removed out of the churches. So the Gentiles, which means non-Jewish people, were then, what that was reached by the Jews, was left over. So now you have this non-Jewish group of church needing to run the church, right? So for five years, they need to keep the ropes. They need to lead worship on a Sunday. They need to, uh, like, preach. They need to do discipleship. They need to do all the things. And because of the, um, uh, just, just Claudia's, uh, like, structuring, the church was actually forced to gather in, like, homes. Maybe this sounds familiar because of restrictions, Maybe it's still too soon. <laughs> but <laughs> so now these Gentile church people, they are leading the church. They are now church leaders. And then Nero comes into power and then he invites all of these Jews back. Come back, please work, bring me money, pay tax. Um, so then you have these two groups of people. You have the Jews and the Gentiles. And they have some different cultural upbringings, different history, different ways they worship, different approaches to how they do life. So they have been running the church now for five years, the Gentiles, but now the Jews, they planted it. So who's leading? That's like a question I was like thinking of. Who's leading this church? And I think there was a bit of tension. It's not that clearly... Um, shown in, in Scripture, but, but I assume with that context, there was a bit of friction. So throughout this book of Romans, there is this time where Paul speaks to the Jews, then he, then he speaks a bit to the Gentiles, and he speaks, hey, don't forget about the Gentiles, Jews. They're also part of the gospel. 
but there was a bit of disunity, and Paul wrote this letter, and I believe he wrote it to bring unity in the church. And if you read the whole book of Romans, it really speaks of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus is the one thing that unifies everyone. So that's just a bit of context. So back to my question, how do we live a life of freedom when looking at the scripture, and I hope this context helps you when you read through this again, just the background of what we should just keep in context. So I'm going to give three points tonight. First point is that you live a life of freedom by not sinning. You live a life of freedom by not sinning. Romans 6 is 1 to 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Now, what is sin? And maybe your definition of sin is different than mine, um, but we can see sin throughout the Bible, and we see the first sin was committed in Genesis In chapter 3, we see the story of Adam and Eve and how they disobeyed God. So God said, do not eat from this one tree. So they disobeyed God, and they ate from that one fruit, one tree, fruit, trees, fruit, that God told them not to eat from. So really, it is disobedience to God. That is what sin is, and we see the consequence of that sin then running out uh, throughout the whole Bible. So 1 John 3 verse 4, it says this, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So sin is lawlessness. So when, now God has a moral law, and when we go against God's law, we are sinning against God, disobedience. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So it's really like we are missing the mark. We are disobeying God, And God still has a law. God is still a lawgiver. It's part of who he is. And the second thing I want to highlight about sin, it has consequences. So from from Genesis 3, we see there's consequences. So uh, they died. So they wouldn't have died, but they died. Adam and Eve is not with us anymore, right? Yeah. They died. So they died a physical death. So they didn't die dead immediately when they ate the fruit, but there was a decaying process that's starting, and they, they die. Um, that's a physical death that they died, and then there's a spiritual death. There's a disconnection. There's a relationship brokerage uh, between them and God and between us and God. And then the other one is the consequences of sin is an eternal death. So we are not living um, just in this timeline, but there's eternity in mind, and when we we sin, there's a death. So, consequences of sin, it's not just physical, it's not spiritual, and it's also eternal. So, what the church in Rome was doing, just because of the culture and the context, because of they were in this Roman culture, which was very barbaric and very uh, worldly, um, They were like using this gospel of Jesus Christ and this grace as an excuse to sin. Because Jesus has saved me and I'm saved, I can sin. I'm okay. The the price has been paid. The 
penalty has been paid. This, this consequence has been taken away. And then the people were still living in sin. And I'm almost speaking about these Romans as, as if we don't do it still today. Um, we still sin. I don't know about you, but we still sin in our lives. We still do things that is against God's will, that's disobedient to Him. And we get things wrong. Uh, we don't meet up to God's standards. So it's not just the Romans, it's also the Praetorians. Um, it's also us. So, like, first point, we live a life of freedom by not sinning. So, the thing is that this church was starting to look like the world and where the, 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 the world should start looking like the church. Uh, the church should penetrate the world and start transforming it. So, how do we live a life of freedom by not sinning? So we can argue, so how do we live a life of freedom? Just don't sin. Um, but who's tried it? Who's failed at it? Yes. Me too. So if we live a life of freedom, there's my second point, is by dying to sin. We live a life of freedom by dying to sin. Romans 6, verse 2, it says, so I'll really read that. I'm just highlighting it again. How can we who have died in sin still live in it? So it's Paul talking to the church. So it's, they are most likely saved. He's saying that how you, you have died to sin, but you still live in it. So he's calling them to die to sin. That that is where they are at. They are dead to sin. Now, how can you still live in it? It's almost like it doesn't make sense to me. It's like this die and sin. There's this contrast within the sentence. Now, then what we get from the scripture is all we have to do is just die to sin. That's all we have to do. Okay, now that's a very weird term. Die to sin. How do we die to sin? And I have a great answer for that. And it's how do we die to sin? It's by dying. We die to sin by dying. Now, physically, now we actually sang the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. And this, this, there's this concept in the Bible about us being slaves to sin, and because of that sin disease, we die. Now, we are all going to die, right? And then this stronghold, I'm talking about a physical death, is, is on us. But if you die, then you can't sin no more. Right? So how do we stop sinning? By dying. How do we die to sin? By dying. Physically. Okay? It's a very interesting concept that I've just read from this. So if we need to stop sinning, we need to die. Because we can't die. Oh, we can't sin when we die, when we're dead. Right? Yes. So there's a physical death, but Physical death is only one of the three deaths that we receive when, we, when sin entered through the world. So there was a physical death, a spiritual death, and an eternal death. And the truth is, we are already dead spiritually. We, we are already dead spiritually because what happened in the Garden of Eden, the death entered, so there was this relationship brokerage between us and God, and that is our spiritual death. That is a fundamental need that we have 
um, that we are living in. We are disconnected. We are separated from God. Uh, Romans 3 verse 23, it says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short. Now, the question then we need to ask is, according to whom are you dead? Like, who says you are dead? Okay, so you need to ask that question. Who's, who's the one that, that speaks into that? So I want to make the statement that you are either dead to sin or alive to God. That's from Romans 6, verse 11, just a bit down. Or you are dead to God and alive to sin. So you are either dead to God, and al- either dead to sin and alive to God, or you are dead to God and alive to sin. You hear the two parts. So on whose terms are you dead? Are you on God's terms dead? Or are you on your terms dead? So how do we transition from the one to the other? I think that's then the, the, the follow-up is how do we get to alive to God and dead to sin and move from dead to God and alive to sin? So how do we access this freedom in Christ? And how are we alive to God? So how do we live a life of freedom? And, and I hope that we are ready for point number three, is we live a life of freedom through the baptism of Christ. And that the thing is that Romans 6, verse 3, verse 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. It is through the baptism of Christ that we can live a life of freedom. Through the baptism of Christ, we are saved. So Jesus took that death on himself, but he did not just die, he was also resurrected. So there's this concept of death and life. Just going to read that scripture again. Do you not know that all have been baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? We were were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There is new life in Christ. This is the thing that it's not what you should not do. It's not about the sin that you need to stop doing. And it's also not about the good things you need to do. It is all about what Jesus has already done for each one of us. Every one of you. Every one of us. Jesus did this on our behalf. And how do we access this baptism of Christ? How is that imputed to us? How is that transferred to us? And there's this one scripture putting our faith in Christ. And this baptism of Christ, we receive. So baptism of Christ really means our salvation in Christ. And it is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Now, the church in Rome used it as an excuse to sin. But I want to just give a, just a definition and just speak into that. Our freedom, this freedom we receive through this baptism because we receive life as God, as Jesus was resurrected and he's, he's alive, he didn't die, death, death could not hold him, he was alive, we sang that song, in him we receive life in abundance and then 
in that scripture, he said, we too might walk in newness of life. In Jesus, we might live a life of freedom, a life of victory. In Christ, we are saved. So our freedom does not give us permission to sin, but it enables us to live without sin. And when thinking of just that concept of the vacuum cleaner, where sin is this noise in our life, all we have to do is just wait for Jesus to switch it off. Is that the curse was broken on that cross. So our freedom does not give us permission to sin. It enables us to live without sin because of what Jesus has done and what we have done. So how do we live a life of freedom? We live a life of freedom by not sinning. We live a life of freedom by dying to sin. And obviously, the first one, Jesus did not sin. Second one, we live a life of freedom by dying to sin. We didn't die, but someone did. Jesus did. And we live a life of freedom through the baptism of Christ. All we have to do is receive it in faith. So I want us, I want us to respond to this word, and I'm going to ask Arman just to come up. And just the, the good news of Jesus is he said, come to me. He helps us to let go of that sin. The, the, the bondage is broken. The, the payment has been paid. Death has been paid. He's paid it fully. So when we repent and we say, Jesus, this thing, I'm, I'm repenting of that. And repentance really means that you're handing it over, not doing it again in faith, not in your own words. But there's a 180 degree turn saying, Jesus, I commit to you. If you're here tonight and you, you just say, yes, this, I can identify the noise in my life. invite you just to raise your hand see the noise you don't want the noise anymore we're going to ask God together now to remove the noise to help you let go of that sin to help let go of that thing that clings so tightly that you can't run this race with endurance yes Father thank you Lord for your word, God, and that in you we have victory, God, and I pray, Lord, for every identified sin, if it's a pattern, if it's a habit, if it's a a one-self, so Lord, I pray for every one of these sins, Lord, and we say thank you for paying the penalty that we don't have to die for anything anymore, and Lord, I pray now that you would break these barriers, Lord, that you would bring a release in every sin, Lord, and even in my own life, and break it in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord, that if there's been habits, if there's been patterns, God, that you can break it. And I'm trusting you tonight, Lord, that there would be instantaneous healing, instantaneous victory over things that's been just keeping us back from connecting with you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your victory, for your blood. Amen. Amen. Thank you, family. Remember, there's coffee, tea, some biscuits. So let's uh, fellowship, have some time together, just um, spending some good time. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.